Hello, and welcome to Making the Round, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode is part of our Health IT series from the AMA Medical Student Section Committee on Health Information Technology. My name is Christopher Jackson, and I am a medical student at the University of Toledo College of Medicine, and I'll be your host for today. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. Rita Akrawal, Distinguished University Professor and Robert H. Smith Dean's Chair of Information Systems at the University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Dr. Agarwal has served in various administrative leadership positions, including Interim Dean and Senior Associate Dean of Faculty and Research. She also has the distinction of being the top 2% of researchers and scholars worldwide. Hello and welcome, Dr. Agarwal. Thanks for that introduction, Chris, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you about a topic that I'm incredibly passionate about and that has consumed most of my cognitive energy for many, many years. <laughs> So my journey to becoming a scholar in health IT and analytics began close to two decades ago, before health IT started trending. I'm a business school professor, albeit with a computer science background, and my research has always been at the intersection of digital technology, strategy, value creation, organizational change. And I've studied this across so many different sectors of the economy, financial services, retail, manufacturing, transportation, the list goes on. I've been researching how digital technology has changed the ways in which organizations transform their business practices, how they gain efficiencies, effectiveness, how employees are empowered, and how best to enable evidence-based decision-making. Now, I always believed that IT could be an instrument of positive change, and the research data supported it. And then it struck me that perhaps one of the most consequential domains in the world, human health and healthcare systems, with enormous societal and economic impact, had largely been left behind in the digital revolution. And in fact, you could argue that it was woefully lagging. So let me reel off some facts on spending versus value. And this should not be surprising to you, Chris, as a medical student. We know that the US spends more per capita on healthcare than any other nation in the world. We know that disease burden is higher in the US than in comparable countries. And we also know that health disparities are a leading cause of avoidable mortality and morbidity amongst marginalized communities. So what can we do about this and what should we do about it? I wanted to have an impact on people's lives through what I know how to do best, that's research. And that's when I pivoted to healthcare and health IT. So I founded the center 17 years ago in 2005, motivated by this deep sense of dissatisfaction with the state of healthcare. And then I very quickly realized that healthcare problems are very complex and that bringing about change really requires a multidisciplinary focus. So I sought to build this multidisciplinary community with the center. Now we have a three-legged mission. We offer solutions to address the persistent problems that healthcare practice and delivery face. And these are predicated on the use of digital technologies, analytics, and AI to educate the next generation of health IT researchers and executives, and to help practicing leaders update their skills, and finally, to influence policy through outreach and thought leadership. I will say it's been an incredibly rewarding experience so far, and I wake up every day and I'm excited to dive into our diverse set of projects. Okay, Dr. Agarwal, Chich produces a truly astounding amount of scholarship while collaborating across government and private partnerships. How do you go about piloting a research group that's being pulled in so many different directions? And what is your center currently working on? 
Uh, I love that analogy of a pilot, Chris. And, you know, indeed, I've learned some important lessons about steering a very vibrant group of researchers and students that are moving in different but related directions. Now, the overarching touchstone for any activity that the center undertakes is that it must be aligned with our mission that I just described of research, of education, and outreach. So I see myself as an opera conductor in addition to a pilot. Uh, I work to raise funding to find interesting practical and policy problems, and then to match them with our internal capabilities and resources. Uh, we have an incredible set of partners, hospitals, insurance companies, startups, state and federal agencies, foundations, virtually every type of organization exists in our partner network. Now you asked what the center is working on right now. I don't think I have enough time in this podcast to more than scratch the surface. But let me just remind you that what makes this work of our center interesting and meaningful to all of us every day are the significant challenges that U.S. healthcare faces. And all of our work is focused on one overarching question. How, where, and in what way can digital technology, data, analytics, and AI help? So the center has been working on three streams of research that are transforming the landscape of healthcare. Uh, the first stream relates to electronic health records. And, you know, it's ironic, EHR started back in 2004 with very rare bipartisan support. And then they got this big boost in 2009 with the High Tech Act, where the government invested $30 billion to incentivize people to adopt EHR. Now, this has dramatically changed how doctors practice medicine, and I'm sure that's the case for you as well in medical school. You have to shift from pen and paper to keyboard and mouse. And, you know, in 2008, only 9% of hospitals had adopted EHR, and it jumped to 84% in 2015. And today, I would venture to say that it's north of 90%. However, doctors still hate electronic health records, which means that there's a lot of research we need to do to turn a huge investment in EHR into value. So my center has studied, and we continue to study, uh, numerous questions related to EHR, adoption, uptake, diffusion, and use. Now, the second stream of technology we are working on started about the same time as EHR, but from the patient side. We all know, and I'm sure you know it better than I, that all of our lives have been profoundly affected by social media, such as Facebook and YouTube. Now, the average person spends 145 minutes on social media every day. Uh, I think uh, I realized very quickly that I'm on the far left tail of this distribution. Now, people are fully connected on social media, and in the past, medicine was about treating each person as an isolated individual. And today, the level of information seeking, of sharing via social media, and importantly, the empowerment it represents is quite remarkable and unprecedented. At the same time, we have this rapid growth uh, in mobile and wearable devices, and that's adding fuel to the potential for lifestyle change by bringing social media to one's fingertips. How long do we use our mobile phone every day? Upwards of five and a half hours. So what does this mean for healthcare and healthcare delivery? It opens up a huge opportunity to access patients and deliver care in a completely new way. So we have conducted a number of studies to understand how mobile and social technologies can be leveraged to improve health and health outcomes, including things like weight loss and physical fitness. And of course, 
monitoring of chronic conditions such as diabetes. And then finally, a third stream of technologies that we are focusing on is the current AI revolution, or should I say the AI resurgence. Uh, you know that there was a winter of AI for about 40 years, and then in 2012, we had the comeback with the neural net. And firms like Google and Facebook immediately jumped on this. Deep learning defeated the world champion Go, and that marked the inflection point that AI is finally here to stay. Now, I will say this, AI is red hot in medicine, from administrative processes to diagnosis to treatment, and it offers the potential for even more radical transformation. Fueled by all the data we've been capturing through our earlier eras of digitization, think about EHRs, you know, think about mobile social wearable technologies, you know, we have micro granular measurements of what patients are doing every day and we can use AI and ML to learn a lot about our patients these days. So a significant proportion of our research portfolio is in the domain of AI and ML. So as you can see, Chris, we have a lot to do and not enough time in the day. So I'm hoping people like yourselves will start getting involved with the work of the center. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed reading your work is there is a passion for increasing the diversity in the algorithms researchers use and the data sets they're based upon. How do we as medical students and future physician scientists work to increase this diversity both today and in the future? Okay, so let me start with a little preamble as to why this question is so important. And thanks for bringing up this really important issue. So underserved and marginalized populations in the U.S. and I would say across the world have long suffered from unequal access to a fundamental human need that's healthcare. And you know, this inequality has resulted in such sharp differences across social groups based on factors that should not be relevant: race, gender, ethnicity, geographic location, and income. Now, when you juxtapose this presence of health inequities with the digital transformation of healthcare, with increasing reliance on data and algorithms, boom, we have the potential for a very serious problem that we need to be very, very vigilant to and fix. So you asked what can students like yourself or physician scientists like yourself in the future play in the quest towards health equity? So I see three immediate ways. One, you know, ask the right questions for any automated algorithm used for diagnostic and treatment decisions. What data were they trained on? What's the quality of the data? How representative is it of the patient population? Did you know that in the genome-wide association studies, 78% of the data come from people of European descent and only 2% from Blacks and 1% from Hispanics? So ask yourself, were bias corrections made? You know, you check the quality of your surgical instruments and your stethoscope and oximeter or whatever you use to make sure it's not malfunctioning. You need to be literate and informed about algorithms and data as well. Second, in your clinical work, capture as best as you can all the social determinants of health in your unstructured notes. This is going to be the gold mine of data that will drive future algorithms and inference. And you know, our research at the center has shown that EHR data capture these factors about marginalized populations at significantly lower rates, significantly lower rates than the majority. 
This will be your responsibility to make sure you understand the full spectrum of healthcare influences within which your patient's clinical conditions are presented. And third, I would encourage you to engage vigorously with a new National Institutes of Health initiative called AIM AHEAD. It stands for AI ML Consortium Advancing Health Equity and Researcher Diversity. And the mission of this initiative is to shine the light on bias in data and algorithms to make sure that the scientists and the individuals who are contributing to healthcare transformation through AI and ML come from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all genders, all races, all ethnicities. So please get engaged with Aim Ahead. It's going to be a terrific initiative. Um, I'm sure that everybody listening is going to go and get engaged right now. Uh, just go to the website and sign up. Um, That's right. As part of your work with CHIDGE, you helped to set up and run CHIDA, or the Conference on Health IT and Analytics. Um, what have you learned from the conference over the years, and what do you think is the most valuable impact of CHIDA? Yes, our annual conference, uh, we call it Cheetah, as in moving really oh, fast. My apologies. It was launched over, <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. It was launched over a decade ago uh, in 2010. And, you know, it goes back to the point that I made about multidisciplinary communities and a multidisciplinary approach to healthcare. So it is a forum to converse, uh, uh, to convene diverse uh, stakeholders and to have conversations amongst them representing policy research and practitioner communities, and then within academia, within the research community to build and sustain this multidisciplinary group. It's a peer-reviewed conference. It includes a doctoral consortium to guide the next generation of health IT researchers. I have learned that researchers are hungry. They're hungry for collaboration, for learning from other disciplines, for discovering puzzles and problems that are important for healthcare and for society. I've learned that they're eager to come out of their silos. So let me highlight two important impacts, one I call community and a second focusing our research efforts. I already spoke about community. Um, over the 12 years of its existence, you know, Cheetah has developed a very close-knit and closely growing community of like-minded researchers. And it's so heartwarming to see participants who started as doctoral students get jobs, become tenured, promoted to associate, and then start to send their own doctoral students to the conference. It you know, makes me feel really old sometimes. But researchers come from all kinds of backgrounds. And a second impact relates to guiding our scientific efforts towards problems that matter. So every year we have a collective brainstorming session at the end of the conference. How should we as scholars and scientists channel our research? And this future-focused research agenda is really key for helping my center and many other researchers figure out where they should be spending their cognitive energy. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Um, in 2021, you produced a paper laying out in explicit terms the racial and socioeconomic disparities in vaccine distribution and uptake. 
That scholarship made a significant difference in how we rolled out the vaccine to undeserved people. What are other ways we can use machine learning, AI, and information technology to increase health outcomes for underserved and low-income communities? Um, thanks for bringing up that, uh, that study, Chris. I'm um, very passionate about it. Uh, you know, let me tell you what motivated the study. We know that the COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately affected communities of color and other marginalized groups. And sort of a popular narrative in the media when vaccines first started coming out and blacks were getting vaccinated at much lower rates than whites, everybody was attributing it to mistrust in the healthcare system. Now, I did not agree with that narrative and I felt that we needed to debunk it uh, or else find the data that supported it. Uh, I was, uh, I had an intuition that it was structural barriers and other social determinants of health more than anything else that was, uh, that was causing the uh, disparity in vaccination rates amongst different races. Uh, so we got a tiger team together at CHITS and, you know, in a space of two weeks collected a very unique a data set and we were able to address that question and in a nutshell we found that politics and privilege socioeconomic uh, status and uh, education do matter so yes underserved and low-income communities face numerous barriers every day in interacting with the healthcare system uh, issues of access affordability non-representativeness of data that i spoke about distrust of the healthcare system etc now let me answer your question. How can AI, ML, and IT help address these inequities? You know, there are just so many examples and I'm gonna share a few. Uh, we have a problem with skin color and the lack of data in medical education and medical resources uh, about facts pertaining to dark-skinned individuals. Now, with digital representation of these resources, you could use image analytics to provide a proactive review of these materials and identify relevant representation gaps. We could also use image analysis to highlight the gulf between the diverse population and the non-representativeness in medical education. Let's just take health IT for a minute. You couple health IT with universal broadband access and telemedicine, including virtual visits, we can help underserved populations improve their access to healthcare, and especially in rural and underserved areas where there are few specialists, or for individuals of low socioeconomic status who don't have access to transportation or who can't take time off to wait in a doctor's office, and you know how we all love waiting in a doctor's office. So AI and ML and more broadly algorithm design have a role to play as well. Uh, you know, let me go back to, again, implicit biases in the human mind and human thinking. Now, there are erroneous beliefs about physical differences amongst demographic groups, and they persist throughout healthcare. But we can use data to combat these beliefs. By using correct algorithm systems, the effects of these erroneous beliefs may be re reduced. So let me give you an example. You know, 50%, and this has been reported in the scientific literature, 50% of white medical students and residents hold false beliefs about biologic differences between black and white people. For example, black people's skin is thicker, black people's blood coagulates more quickly. Now, many of these beliefs can be disproved by data. 
You know better than I do, Chris, that coagulation rates are measurable. And we can replace this belief-based reasoning by data-informed decision-making. You know, our research has also shown that treatment patterns and treatment plans vary depending on your race, gender, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. So for identical patients, treatment plans vary based on these factors that should not matter. So if we design treatment analysis algorithms that can detect these differences, and if we can at least alert clinicians to the presence of these differences, we might be able to make a difference. So let me just summarize by saying that health IT, artificial intelligence, and machine learning have a very important role to play in addressing inequities. And people always talk about the bias in AI and ML, but I want to think of AI and ML as an instrument of positive change as well to help us overcome our biases. Uh, and I did just want to take a moment to thank you for that 2021 paper. Um, it put into number something that myself and other people of color who work in this space just kind of knew, but it's hard to argue without the numbers. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. You gave us a tool to use to actually drive change. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was very rewarding for me as well. Um, I was reading one of your papers from 2013 about how much UCHR messaging systems would get and how widespread they would become. It struck me that this was pretty much an open question until February of 2020. And then one day overnight, everything changed. Um, were you caught off guard by the speedy adoption of health technology for COVID? And what about the sudden shift surprise you were caught you off guard the most? Chris, uh, thanks for taking the time to read my papers. I wish my <laughs> students were as diligent as you are. Uh, you know, uh, the pandemic did provide the uh, critical tipping or inflection point for the uptake of digital health. You know, I recall giving testimony to the American health information community on personal health records back in 2007. And then I stated that patients would need to be the ones pushing the penetration of health IT into clinical practice. Uh, and even though 90% of care facilities have electronic health records, as I just mentioned, there's still substantial underuse and disenchantment in the clinical community and patient data are continue to be fragmented and not easily available. And then boom, the pandemic hit, almost as a forcing function for both patients and the clinical community. Uh, you probably read uh, the findings that were recently reported in the AMA uh, Physician Practice Benchmark Survey, right? A huge surge in telehealth adoption between 2018 and 2020, driven by the shift from in-person to virtual care during the pandemic. And in the critical area of mental health, this was a life-saving shift for many patients. Now, we're slowly coming back down from the peak of use, but I would venture to say, and I'm always scared to say this, but I will still say it, uh, some things have changed forever. Clinicians are more comfortable with technology and patients' acceptance of health IT as a tool for empowerment and convenience has just skyrocketed. Uh, you know, I hope we stay on this trajectory and as all players in the healthcare ecosystem continue to learn, become more comfortable with the tools and we're able to use what makes sense for us in what situations and circumstances. So I won't say I was caught off guard. Uh, we saw similar patterns in other sectors, but I was definitely pleased and in many ways relieved. The digital transformation of healthcare, I think, is finally here to stay. 
Okay. And when I am in a practicing attending physician in 10 to 15 years, how do you think health IT will have changed at that point? <laughs> so by the time you get to starting uh, to start practicing medicine, um, Chris, uh, the trajectory of digitization and automation is only going to get sharper and the data are starting to support this. You know, one third of millennials and 41% of Generation Z prefer digital encounters with physicians over in-person visits. And these are the people who will be your patients. So you will experience this infusion of health IT into all aspects of care delivery, from diagnosis to treatment, to patient empowerment, to expanding access. You know, I hope your generation will be the change agents, uh, that you will proactively guide this power towards improvement of human health. Uh, I, I fully expect you be, uh, expect that you will be prescribing digital therapeutics with, for patients with chronic conditions so they can engage in health self-management. I've started doing that a little bit as well, even though I'm not millennial or Generation Z. So, you know, my advice to you is become informed, learn, make good decisions about what tools to use and when to use them, and use the technology to help you become a better doctor, better clinician, even more empathetic towards your patients and help your patients become better able to take care of themselves and stay healthy. Um, and finally, we know you're not big on the social networking, but are there any <laughs> channels where people can connect with you and follow your work? Yeah, yeah. So the best place is my uh, Google Scholar profile or on LinkedIn. Uh, as you said, I'm not a big social media user myself. And then, of course, uh, my center's work is featured on uh, go.umd.edu slash chids. Uh, that's the shortened URL. Well, everyone, that's all for today. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your time today, Dr. Agarwal. Great to speak with you, Chris, and good luck in your future work. Thank you. This has been Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org backslash podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye.